I'm going to pray before I start. Uh, We definitely need more of that. Jesus, your very words are life. It is not a flippant matter to be up here, nor to be under the care of your word. But you are revealed in the proclamation of your word. And I pray that you make yourself known to us in greater ways today. And I pray for those in darkness that they may see you and run to the light. In your precious name, amen. We can't have a good sound time. It's all good. All right, I think I'm good to go. We can't apply simplicity out of context. And this is of particular interest in the Gospel of John and his writings because John writes in simple terms. He writes in terms of light and darkness, of good and evil, of easy things to understand. And it's very easy to misapply parts of John's Gospel, parts of John's letters. So most people have opinions on them. But if I were to ask you, what is the famous equation that Albert Einstein is known for, how many would know that? A lot of people. I'm glad to see that. Now, how many know what it stands for? Okay, a little less. How many know how he actually arrived at the equation? All right, that's fair. All right, we got one. That's good. That's more than I know. Uh, I do know that E equals MC squared is a matter of finding mass into energy, and so it's equated, well, it's important to the atomic bomb. I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback here. I don't want to blast you guys out. Uh, so it's important to the atomic bomb, and that's, that's about the extent of my knowledge, but it's very easy to know, and it's very easy to say, and to, to write on a test, if that's what it is, but if you write that on the bottom line of your 1040A form, and you send that into the IRS, they're going to send you a letter and say, this doesn't make any sense. You owe us money that you owe us. So you can't take simple ideas and then just apply them in different locations. But you have to remain in the context of what they're for. And you don't even have to look past the parables of Christ, that they're easy to understand at least in the simple wording that it is, you can think of the parable of the sower. You can think of what's normally called the prodigal son. Those are simple stories. But even when Jesus uses parables, people misunderstand. 
even those simple terms. And so in John, we find simple words within context that we can't just create our own definition of, but we have to see what John is actually saying. And preparing for this sermon, there are so many aspects of this passage that pertain to chapters 5 and chapter 7 that you really don't understand what's going on here in chapter 8 without looking about the dialogue that he has in those previous chapters. But this is the big idea that we have. Again, it's in simple terms. Jesus is the light who leads us and makes us lights for His own glory. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus is the light who leads us and makes us lights for His own glory. In John 8.12, I'm going to read that again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's an explicit statement about His identity and about who He is. And it's easy for us to latch onto that word light and bring in categories of thought about just the, the qualities of light and apply them. But I, I want to hold you off for a moment and just look at three aspects of light that are evident in this passage that John would refer us to. The first aspect of light is that it is connected with life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He even qualifies it in that statement. At the beginning of John, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, In him was life, and that is Jesus. And the life was the light of men. So there we see that life is called the light. And here in this passage, light is called life. So that light brings life. And Christ is able to give life as the light of the world. And He says so in chapter 5.25. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And so the Son is able to give life out of Himself. So that is the first aspect of the light of Jesus' identity. The second one is that He is the light of the world. 
I'm going to turn to Isaiah 49. And this concerns the servant of the Lord who is Christ. Beginning in verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of His hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In His quiver He hid me away. And He said to me, You are My servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent My strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely My right is with the Lord and My recompense with My God. This is verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring, back, to bring Jacob back to Him, and that Israel might be gathered to Him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And so there we have representation that Christ, as the servant of the Lord, is being made a light for the nations. So His declaration of, I am a light, I am the light of the world, is that second aspect that I would draw attention to. And the last and the third is light as the revealer about who God is. Because Christ illuminates who the Father is. You could look over and over again in John where He says, I do nothing but what I see the Father doing. And the only one who knows the Father, who has seen the Father, is the one whom He has sent. He is the one who reveals the Father. For no one has seen the Father except the one whom He has sent. And so Christ's activity as the light is that threefold activity pertaining to this passage that He is light associated with life. He is the light of wor the world, not the Jews only, but to the Gentile nations. And He is the revealer of who the Father is. And so at the very beginning of this, we see this glorious declaration that Jesus is the light of the world and that whoever follows Him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But Jesus is not the only one within this story. We have the Pharisees who are under some tremendous pressure to approach Jesus and to challenge Him. And I want to briefly recap leading up to this exchange. With the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in chapter 2 of John, he, he clears out the temple. He makes a whip, flips over tables, because they have exchanged the purpose of the house of God. So he makes a commotion. It's, it's a public act. And then in chapter 4, 
Jesus is gathering a larger following than John the Baptist's following. And the Pharisees see this happening. So Jesus actually avoids going in to Judea and goes out to Galilee to avoid them because of this knowledge that they've acquired. In chapter 5, Jesus goes to Jerusalem now and heals on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders question him about it and he chastises them. Because they, they search the Scriptures and they don't see him. So he is calling them out. But he also calls God his Father, which is meant to the Jews that he was making himself equal with God. And so now they were seeking to kill him. And then to recap the events of chapter 7, beginning in the Feast of Booths, in 7, verse 11, it reads, The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man. And others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. And about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do the to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And after that, he confronts those who are seeking to kill him and claims that they do the work of circumcision on the Sabbath, yet blame Him who heals the whole body. Again, this is all in public. So some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here He is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to Him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And the, when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So the people are, are talking about him and questioning the inactivity of the authorities against what Christ is saying. And then in seven, chapter, chapter 7, verses 32 and following, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And they misunderstand. And it's coming to a climax that on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He said this so people could hear him in the midst of the crowds at the feast. In verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? And division happens among the people because they misunderstand His origin, where He comes from. Some of them wanted to arrest Him, but no one laid hands on Him. And then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring Him? Because they wanted to arrest Him. The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in Him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The Pharisees are heated that this continues to go on and that He has not been silenced. But Nicodemus, in verse 50, who had gone to Him before and who was one of the Pharisees, said to him, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they chastised him for speaking up. But that's the backdrop of where we are at this point. The Pharisees have been inactive, at least publicly, and they have been questioned for it. And so, they're looking for an opportunity to expose who Jesus is, at least in their eyes. And when He proclaims that He is the light of the world, the Pharisees stand up and say, we do not trust you because you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is untrue. And this is their public declaration that they are the true authority of the Jews. Now you may know this, but back when piracy was ruling the waters, part of what a pirate ship would do would be to raise the colors of a different country so that they could approach a ship under the guise of a friend helping out somebody in need or sailing in peaceful waters. But they did this so that they could attack that ship. So they sailed under the guise of these false colors. And so the Pharisees wanted to expose what they saw as the false colors that Jesus was proclaiming about Himself. But in reality, Jesus was about to expose them for their false colors. 
because they had no idea who he was. So we see this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees have tried to set up this unofficial court of law to where they can accuse Christ of bearing witness about Himself and therefore proving His testimony invalid. And so Jesus answers him them in 8.14. He says, Even if I do bear witness about Myself, My testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So Christ answers their accusation by declaring that what He says is what the Father says. Now some look at this passage and they see these phrases like, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And so we see people take this phrase and say, you see, Jesus doesn't judge. So you shouldn't judge about what people do. And if you judge, you're actually going against what Christ is doing. Because they say, look at the words. He says, I judge no one. But remembering back to the beginning the introduction that these simple terms sometimes can be confusing and mistrued. Because if you look at other passages within John, you will find other things that inform what Christ is saying about when He will judge. Not if He will judge. Not if He does judge. But when He will judge. And so we can't look at these passages as if we can extract those singular sentences and build off of them. We can look at these passages as if they're instruments that are part of an orchestra to where they do stand alone on themselves if they're preached within their context, if they're told what they actually mean. But getting to the very point of the judgment that Christ is talking about. When and if He judges. We have to look at the full context. We have to hear the other instruments. We have to hear the other representation of what Christ is saying. But the aim here is that Christ has turned the tables on the Pharisees. Because what He is talking about, they're missing altogether. He says, you judge according to the flesh. And this is the same thing that we find Nicodemus doing when he approaches Christ in John chapter 3. 
when Christ proclaims that you must be born again. And Nicodemus is, is thinking in fleshly terms, and he says, well, how can a grown man re-enter his mother's womb? But Christ was expressing something new to what Nicodemus was seeing things as. And that they were looking for fleshly representation. Where they themselves would be the authority that would recognize what God says and what God does not say. So that they would be the ones to testify to the truth about who God is. But Christ is the only one who knows where He came from, which is the Father, and where He is going, which is back to the Father. And they do not know where He came from or where He was going. So they are ignorant to the fact of who the Father is. And he states in verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they continue on working in fleshly terms. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Bring him to this court. Let him be that second witness to you that you are this light of the world and that whoever walks and follows you will not be in darkness. But they missed the point. Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. This is done out in the open. These words, he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So we see this exchange and not in an arrest, though he is speaking against the authority of the Pharisees. But Christ didn't leave them at that, he approaches them again in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He is trying to get them to the point of repentance because he's calling them out on their sin, but they see themselves as blameless. They do not see the fact that they need somebody to save them. And so when Christ says that you will die in your sins, they don't believe Him here either. So they just try to figure out the way that He's talking about where He's going and that they can't come. And so they just wonder if He's going to kill Himself because He said that. And again, He, he comes to them he didn't have to, but he does. He says, 
you are from below and I am from above. Again, speaking in simple terms. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. He is showing them that they are not blameless. He's explicitly telling them. But they miss it. They say, who are you? And Jesus says, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. If you remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He teaches from the book of Isaiah and declares Himself the servant of the Lord. And He quotes and He reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And thus He enters His public ministry. And this is what he witnesses to throughout his ministry in front of the authorities, in front of the Pharisees. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. Most people stop at, I judge no one without reading this in context. But I have much to judge. But He, the Father, who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. So Jesus is going to them and telling them over and over again that He knows the Father and they don't. That they are in sin. And if they do not believe in Him, they will die in their sins. And it's a tragedy that we read in verse 27. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I am the servant of the Lord. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. And He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus is going to have more exchanges and it's going to get more intense with the authorities. But all the while, Christ is proclaiming the gospel message to them that the necessity of life That the point of revelation about who the Father is 
and about that proclamation of that light to the world is only through Him and by Him. For that is who He is. But I don't think we can end there. Because Jesus says other things about light. In Matthew 5, 14-16, He tells His disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So not only does Christ declare that He is the light of the world, He says to His people that you are the light of the world. And we see this more in action in Acts Chapter 13, 44 through 49, where we see that same passage of Isaiah from 49, verse 6, applied to Paul and Barnabas as they preached the gospel in Antioch. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke about, out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. He's referring to himself. And this is what the Lord has commanded. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Paul's applying that to himself and Barnabas. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so we see that the light of Christ becomes the light of His people to be the light of the world. Now these terms, light, and these terms, people, again, are simple terms. And we can't be confused because our society today promotes this idea of unity and community. And it's easy for people to think that people are the light of the world. But this existence of community with people as the light of the world is in darkness when people are at the center as opposed to Christ. And that only happens within the church that Christ is the center of the church. 
But we use the same language about community and unity. And it's easy to confuse what the world qualifies that as and what the church qualifies that as. So we can't just say people are the light, but we must first say that Christ is the light of the world and He works in His people to be the light of the world as well. Keeping on the same idea of simple words. I want to work on closing out from John 3.16. But I'm going to read 3.16-21. through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There is reality that some this morning still live in darkness. That those, those people even look at the Bible and say, oh yeah, I understand that. But still remain in their sins. Just like the Pharisees. Without any recognition of sinfulness and desire for the Savior, we cannot hope that we walk in the light. And so, my, my plea here this morning is that would you come? into His light? I would say the only redeeming quality of being in darkness is that as soon as there is light, there's only one place to look. That's at the light. And Christ not only says that to the people in His context in chapter 8, but He says that this morning. Right now. That I am the light of the world. And that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.
And that is a promise to you this morning if you seek after Christ. Let us pray.